come to a personal, into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but you sort of open your mouth and it's like, and nothing comes out. Has that ever happened to anyone here? Well, do we have the solution for you? Beginning in the first uh, Saturday night in September, we are going to have a five-week uh, training program on Saturday night, which is we're just going to incorporate into our normal uh, street witnessing program that we have. And we have put together a workbook and a study presentation, and if you participate in this, by the end of the five weeks, you will have memorized about a 15 or 20 minute presentation of your faith. Now, there is no formula for, fair, for, for sharing uh, your faith necessarily, but there are um, a few critical pieces um, that go into uh, a typical conversation with someone who does not really know the Lord. The first is that man is a sinner. People don't, often don't realize that. They, there's a very common misunderstanding that, that man is good. The Bible doesn't teach that. And before someone can come into a relationship with God, they first have to understand that they need God, that they're a sinner, that they need God. The second is that a relationship with God does not come by uh, works. The third is that God is a God of love, but He's also a God of judgment. And the fourth is that the uh, eternal uh, life in a relationship with Jesus comes by faith. And so really, th this presentation, it's a five-part presentation, and each week, the participants will be uh, memorizing sort of one part of it, and by the end, you'll all be pros. Now, we know that uh, when we present our faith, and we're going to talk more about that this morning, it's really the power of the Holy Spirit that brings anyone into a relationship with God. But uh, I know I have found... Uh, these uh, kind of uh, presentations very helpful. My wife Stephanie and I, the, uh, right after we were married, we were in actually a 16-week program to uh, learn how to share our faith. And so if you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Okay, anyone leaving to Peru, uh, 3 a.m. tomorrow, please rise up, stand up. Okay, here you have them. Okay, now everyone do a short little turnaround so everyone can see. Little circle, little circle. Albert's doing it good, nice and slow. Okay, now you can sit down. Now the reason I did that is that because I want you all to see who you're praying for uh, over the next 10 days. Uh, the team is going down to Peru they are going to be doing construction uh, in a slum area of Lima, and we have been to this area several times. It's an area that's uh, filled by children who have been abandoned, who are really right now sort of dangling over sort of the jaws of Satan, and uh, we're there to, to build a school. Um, we've already seen a great work that has started there. They're coming to know uh, uh, the Lord, and 
uh, and, and sort of the strongholds in that area, which we'll also be talking about more later, uh, we're, we're seeing them come uh, down by the power of the Word of God. And so we're very thankful for that. Please be in prayer uh, each day for the next 10 days. Actually, to follow up on the announcement, uh, coming home, it's a week from this Tuesday. It's not 12 midnight. It's 10 a.m. during the day. If you can come and help pick up people at the airport, and you can do that, and you can help out in that way, that would be wonderful. Eric, can you stand up? Uh, just speak to Eric after the service. Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are going through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3. Paul by the Holy Spirit, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to this world, Lord. And Father, we thank you just for the grace that our hearts and minds have been opened to just the abundance of a life in Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you say that when you died and, and were resurrected and ascended into heaven, that you did not leave us and never, neither did you ever have an intention to leave us as orphans, but that you would come again in the person of the Holy Spirit And we thank you for him, the Holy Spirit, and we thank you uh, as we are going to read about this morning, Lord, for the weapons that are mighty in God that you have armed us with, Lord, not bombs and tanks and rifles, Lord, no, the word of God, love, prayer a life of righteousness and purity. And Lord, I pray that you bring us closer this morning by your word and those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So I love watching the Olympic Games, and as you probably know, they are uh, once again upon us. Four years have passed, and uh, the uh, game started on uh, Friday night or Friday actually during the day, they're a few hours ahead of us. And those of you who watch the Olympics know that in addition to the competition, there are these special interest stories. Frankly, for my taste, too many of them. I'd rather see more of the competition. But uh, anyway, uh, there's many of these stories about uh, the lives of athletes and what they have overcome. And some of the stories are very inspiring. 
But I must say that throughout the Olympics, I, I love them, but there is a part of me as I watch, I'm deeply grieved. I'm grieved by what I see, by many of the story and, and just the games in particular, because they have become so unabashedly man-centered. Uh, they are too much about the glorification of man. It's about man being exalted. And this is why I am extremely con- uh, encouraged to read the story about Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall, please write that name down and pray for him. He is representing the United States in the marathon. Many consider that to be the quintessential Olympic event. 26.2 miles. Wow. 26.2 miles. And uh, he is a Christian. And Ryan Hall, after being injured and not being able to compete in the 2004 games, had his heart radically changed. And his, the Lord just really transformed his whole attitude towards racing. And since that time... Uh, Ryan Hall says, and I'm quoting from World Magazine, a Christian news magazine, he says, it isn't the records, the championships, or the medals that make life life fulfilling. It's the life of following Christ. Now as I prepare for my first Olympic trials, this is back in the fall, I feel God calling me to run free. To run free from having to make the team. Free from the worries of needing to prove myself. Free from the riches of this world. Free to run with a heart full of passion and praise for God. Free to pour myself out for Him and not for me. Since that time... All he has done has been to break the all-time record in the United States in the marathon. On August 24th, in the final event of the Olympic Games, he will compete for the gold medal. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God has prepared a race for you to run. He has given you a calling on your life. If you do not know it now, and you, uh, as you seek out the Lord and walk with the Lord, you will know what that calling is. The interesting thing is that for most of you, this calling that the Lord has on your life or will be putting on your life is very similar to the calling that many people have who are not believers in Jesus Christ. God may call you to be a businessman. He may call you to be a journalist. He may call you to be a mom. He may call you to be a builder, a teacher, a nurse. He may call you to be an Olympic marathon runner. And there are a lot of people who do not believe in Jesus who have a calling of sorts a worldly calling, if you will, to do those kind of things. But the difference with you, 
listen, is that God is calling you to accomplish these things in a radically different way. Verse 3 of chapter 10 we read, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Meaning, though you live in the world, you don't go about living in the world the way the world does. Though you have a calling on your life, uh, you don't go about it the way the world does. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning worldly, but they are mighty in God. Mighty in God. A weapon that is mighty in God, meaning in the calling you are in, you don't use the same methods, you don't battle, you don't race uh, with the same motivation as the world does. Now, as a young boy and as a teenager, I was extremely involved in sports. I spent the better part of my youth uh, training for sporting events, competing in them, My free time was wholly dedicated uh, to sports, uh, just dreaming about them. Sports was my life. And I know a thing or two about what motivates an athlete. And I was an athlete before I was um, saved as a Christian. I I can't call myself an athlete anymore, but uh, that's, that's, that's what I was. And, and so I know a thing or two about the motivation. Why did I do it? I did it to make the team. To fail was my worst nightmare. I did it to prove myself to the world. I did it to uh, hear my name over the school loudspeaker, to get a trophy, to maybe see my name and tiny one font in the newspaper, you know, the only, I would be the only one, of course, reading it, but I didn't like to, uh, to think that way. To, I did it for the praise of man. I did it for me. I'm just being honest about that, and I really mean that. I ran the race and my motives, my weapons as verse 4 or uh, of Hello? That's a Gatorade break, a water break. So I ran the race and my motives, my weapons, whereas verse 4, again, of chapter 10 of of 2 Corinthians 8, were carnal. My motives were carnal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Three, the Apostle Paul writes that before a person comes to know Jesus Christ, their hearts and minds are, are covered with a, a veil of unbelief and ignorance. A veil. It is the piece of cloth that women in the Middle Eastern and the other countries wear to cover their face with. The Bible says that Jesus removes the veil. He removes this cloth when he is invited into a man or woman's life. 
2 Corinthians 3.14 says, and I quote here, the veil is taken away in Christ. Verse 16 says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When this veil is taken away, a man or woman begins to see the world and their life very differently. Suddenly life is not about me anymore, it's about God. It's about the, I love Acts chapter 2, when their life was, when the veil was taken off, they, 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 what did it say? They, they, they were all declaring the wonderful works of God. Why? It's the first time they had ever seen them, the wonderful works of God, not only in their own life, but just everywhere around them. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, But we with unveiled faces behold as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. When the veil is taken away, our hearts are opened so completely to a different way of doing things, a, a way to wage the battle of life that is very different. Now Titus chapter 3, we were, uh, quoted that a few weeks ago. When a man or woman uh, comes to Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are changed by the renewal and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to run the race, to wage our warfare in the battle of, of life with weapons that are, as verse 4, 2 Corinthians 10 says, mighty in God. Mighty in God, the weapons in the world, the weapons that I use to compete, very different than the weapons that Ryan Hall is currently using. They were so shallow, they were so anemic, so, so brittle, so feeble. But the weapons we have are mighty in God, and, and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pursue our callings as, as moms, as dads, as businessmen, as construction workers, as uh, nurses, Olympic runners even, free from the bondage of feeling we have to make the team, meaning to be accepted by whoever the world's longing to be accepted for these days, free from the anxiety of trying to prove ourselves, free from the bondage of, of pursuing the riches of this world, free to run with a heart full of passion and, and, and praise for God, free to pour ourselves out to Him, not on ourselves. And, 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 and you know, it has been so wonderful. You know, I, I did run cross-country, and I, I used to run many miles a week. And, and, and uh, since becoming a Christian, just having the, a taste, and of course now I have it on a treadmill, but uh, of just pouring out my life when I'm, when I'm running, and, and, and so I can relate to what this young man is saying, Ryan Hall. Pouring out himself, he says. That's, he's free to do that now because he's not running for himself. And so we left off on these verses a, a few weeks ago. I do recommend, if you were not here, that uh, you get a copy of that message because uh, the message today goes hand in hand with that message. Uh, for those of you who were, were here, uh, what did we say was the number one Mighty in God weapon. What do we say it was? Truth, the Word of God. The Word of God, which begins and end with, ends with a very simple message, a life-changing message. What is it? Jesus said, if the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 36. If Jesus Christ sets you free, He says, you're free indeed. 
And that's what Ryan Hall was talking about. That's what the Word of God declares. Uh, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, He will uh, free you from the bondage of having to make the team, of the bondage of having to prove yourself. He will free you from the riches of the world and the grip they have on the hearts of men and women. You will be, be free to, uh, to run with a heart full of passion and praise uh, for God. Second Corinthians 5.15 says this, He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Living for yourself is such an oppressive thing. It's such an oppressive, miserable life in the end. And, and it's such a losing battle. Why again? Because uh, the, the, we battle when we live for ourselves with worldly, worldly weapons which are so weak and shallow and, 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 and they're only useful to a, a certain degree. A degree, but living for Jesus Christ is such a freeing thing, and it's a winning battle. Why? We do it with the weapons that are what? Mighty in God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6, there can hardly be three verses that are more relevant to our lives as believers in Jesus Christ in the year 2008. Again, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. God has given you weapons, weapons that are mighty in God. He has given you these weapons not only to pursue the calling that he has put on your life, but as we discussed a few weeks ago, he's given you these weapons to what? To pull down strongholds. God's given you a purpose when he saves a man or woman, a child, he fills their life with purpose. He gives them a calling to pursue, but they're also strongholds that you will encounter in your life, either in your family, your work, in your neighborhood, in your city, that he has called you to pull down with weapons that are mighty uh, uh, in God. Now, what are these strongholds? They're strongholds of evil. They're strongholds of darkness. They're strongholds of self with a capital S, capital E, capital L, capital F. The Greek word for stronghold, we discuss this in verse 4, is a reference to the fortresses and the fortified cities described in the Old Testament. Uh, scholars say th they were uh, anywhere between 30 and 100 feet high. This is before cranes or anything like that. You can imagine what went into building these things. They were up to, to uh, 80 to 100 feet thick, so thick that multiple chariots could go side by side on the top of these uh, walls. And on top of the walls were watchtowers and platforms for military men to defend the city. Uh, in a word, these strongholds, these fortified, city, fortified cities, they were impenetrable. They were indestructible. 
And that's the wor word that Paul is referring to there in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Of course, he's not referring, though, to physical strongholds. He is referring to something that, in fact, has a much stronger or can have a much stronger hold in our life or in the life of a man or woman or in the life of a city or a nation. The Word of God teaches that sin can take over a man and a woman or a woman and it can take over a city or nation and become a stronghold. Strongholds are comprised supremely at their heart. They're, they're comprised of, of pride. That's why verse 5 says, casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. But, but the stronghold, there can be strongholds based just in lust, in materialism, what the Bible calls covetousness or greed. Someone can have a stronghold of bitterness in their life. An entire nation can have a stronghold of bitterness and unforgiveness. And that's what you see in the Middle East. A man, a woman, a city, a nation can have any number of strongholds and they become like a 40, fortified city, 50 feet high, 20 feet thick, with watchtowers that protect for anyone from approaching, indestructible, impenetrable. So what are the strongholds among us? In Boston, with our 50 to 60 universities, stronghold of humanism and evolutionary thinking. That man is not created by God. He is the product of evolution, a process that began billions of years ago when somehow by a series of accidents and chance occurrences that somehow all work together for billions of years, uh, inanimate matter somehow uh, suddenly evolved into living cells and went on from there. So, so at the heart of this worldview, there's no such thing as God, there's no such thing as truth or right or wrong, no meaning in life, no such thing as life after death, and most importantly, man is a master of his own destiny, uh, he is his own God, the master of his own life. This is a, a stronghold in, uh, of, in American life, and in the life of individuals. The stronghold of sensuality in America, and throughout the Western world. The glorification of sex and sensuality everywhere you look, everywhere you go, entrenched in modern American life. The stronghold of materialism, the glorification of material prosperity, a corner office at work, a large house in the suburbs, a BMW in the driveway, an oceanfront vacation uh, house, and a long, carefree retirement. This is a, just a stronghold. This thing has, this desire has taken up residence in, in the hearts of, of men and women. And, and they have just a grip uh, over people's lives. And, and they've become entrenched. In, in, in so much so that people continue to hold on to them. Uh, even after these things prove themselves to be incredibly destructive in their lives. Even after these things um, have ca caused untold misery in their lives. Evolutionary thinking and humanistic thinking, you think that there is no fallout from that. Think again. 
a worldview that believes there's no ultimate meaning or purpose in, or inherent value in human life, um, it has fueled an unprecedented level of despair and depression and mental illness because any honest person who lays hold of it, that's where it'll take you, to despair. The Nazis latched onto this philosophy of life as an official sort of state doctrine. So did the Soviet, Russia, uh, Soviet Union, so did Maoist China. Life is expendable when you hold on to this doctrine, and there is no accountability to God or fear of God. All bets are off when it comes to life. Human life becomes expendable. Uh, something like a hundred million lives were taken by those governments and governments like them because they had a justification to do it. So why would anyone cling to them if they are so destructive? The stronghold of, of sensuality, the glorification of sex, you can hardly over-exaggerate how destructive this stronghold has been on our society on the physical level, the rate of sexually transmitted diseases, has gone up, I don't know how many fold in the last um, 10 years. Something like one out of every four teenage women in America will contract a sexually transmitted disease. There are an estimated 3 million new uh, women each year infected with chlamydia, which is becoming a leading cause of cervical cancer. And, and because of the stronghold of sex and sensuality being so entrenched in our society, millions of kids are being born outside of uh, a marriage and they're being um, uh, they're in households, uh, something like over 50% of children today being raised without two parents and in households. This will depend, in, uh, depend upon what socioeconomic background you come from, but a breakdown of the family and with it escalating crime rates, but most of all, the damage to a human soul. With every sexual partner, that you have, part of your soul is stripped away. And if it goes on for, for long enough, it's stripped so bare that there's not a whole lot left. <laughs> and it, and, and this, kind of, this stronghold and the fallout from the stronghold will become just an incredible stronghold opposition to any relationship that you get in. It's just an, an assault on marriage. Hardness in the hearts, the insecurity, the distrustfulness that grows in a heart because of sort of living out this stronghold. Why would anyone cling to this stronghold when it is so unbelievably destructive? The stronghold of materialism and greed. Here is the cover of the Economist magazine for this week, Unhappy America. So it has Lady Liberty, you know, like this. And if you read this and explain what The Economist has to say about why America is so unhappy, it has really nothing to do with Iraq. It's purely because of the economy going sour people having less money, less prosperity. So 
as destructive as these strongholds are, they have as much grip as ever over the American life. Why? The answer is because they, these strongholds are spiritual. You know, the stones that are made up of uh, walls 50 foot high, 20 foot thick walls in the Old Testaments were held together with mortar, dirt, water, clay, whatever, the strongholds Paul is referring to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 are held together by something else. And let's see what they are. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. First Timothy chapter four verses one and two. Actually, yeah, verses one and two. We can stick with those. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The reason strongholds have such a strong hold over American life and that people cling to them long after the strongholds have been shown to be incredibly destructive is that they are held together by demonic forces deceiving spirit. You ask how? How are they doing that? In what way are these demonic spirits deceiving? Well, what was Satan's lie to Eve in the garden? What was it? How did he deceive her? What was the lie that she believed? He said, when you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. Eve said, wow. I can be like God. She ate. Satan deceived her into believing she would become like God. And, and that is what Satan uh, does to keep people or to create strongholds and to keep people bound in them. That is why strongholds have such a strong hold over people. They're so spiritual. That's why we look at strongholds and say, you've got to be kidding me. Why are, how come people are still buying into this lie? I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago that when Spurgeon first heard about evolution, he says within 25 years, no one's ever going to hear of this theory again. He underestimated the power of the lie and the power behind the lie. So again, verse 4 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so what does this verse say strongholds are made up of? It says they're made up of arguments, verse 5, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, the Greek word for arguments there in verse uh, 5 is the Greek word logismos, which means reasonings. What kind of reasonings? Well, the demonic reasoning that says, hmm, I can be like God. 
That's a reasoning. That's a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In Isaiah 14, you have a description of what went on in Satan's heart immediately prior to the time he was cast out of heaven. Isaiah 14, 13 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Every stronghold is held together, is built up by an argument, a reasoning that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, as verse 5 says. And what does the argument, the reasoning say? I can be like God. Why do I need God? Is there even a God? And every spiritual stronghold, how do you recognize it? How do you recognize a stronghold? You recognize it because it glorifies man. It exalts man over God. And so the stronghold of evolutionary and humanistic philosophy is grounded in that lie. It exalts man above God. It trivializes God. It literally throws God out of the picture. The stronghold of sensuality is all about finding satisfaction apart from God. It's about gratification of man. The stronghold of materialism and prosperity is all about building man's kingdom to the exclusion of God. And so as 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. When that happens, a stronghold is created. And oh, is it... Uh, uh, have a strong hold over the hearts of men and women. Now, the good news is this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prays for the church in the Ephesus that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. That's a quote. And that they would understand the exceeding greatness of his power towards those who believe. So when God answers that prayer, and he does, he's faithful, that's a promise, he will answer that prayer, ask and it will be given to you. The eyes of your heart are enlightened, and now you see the strongholds among you, and what do you do? You see the strongholds, your eyes of your heart are open, you see the strongholds among you. Do you run scared? Uh, Do you huddle up in the corner, and and, you know, with, you know, your, your knees shaking, and your your teeth chattering and your, and your voice quivering? Do you say, look at that stronghold, 50 feet high, 30 feet thick, and held together by Satan himself. You know, we better get out of this place. Lest we be crushed, lest we be burned up. No, understanding the exceeding greatness and power towards us who believe, we lay hold of the weapons that are mighty of, uh, in God, and as verse 4 says, we pull down the strongholds. That's part of the purpose that God has filled your life with. And you pull them um, down with weapons that are mighty in God. And we discussed four of them a few weeks ago. One we've already discussed already, the Word of God. The Word of God is who? It's Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Word. Uh, the, the mighty in, in, in God weapon number one is the Word of God. It's truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. 
And when a person comes to us for counseling and some stronghold is in their life, is, is destroying their life, the last thing in the world that we try to do is use some worldly, logical argument and convince them that they need to change their behavior or whatever. No, we confront the stronghold head on and we ask them, what about Jesus? Do you have him in your life? Are you committed to Jesus? Jesus says, unless you lay down uh, your life and you pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Have you made Jesus your master, your Lord? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God uh, will raise him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that? We confront the stronghold just right on. Have you done that? Have you made Jesus the master of your life. When the children of Israel left the slavery of, in Egypt, you talk about a stronghold. Boy, were they living in a stronghold in Egypt. I read through the book of, of Exodus about that. When they left their slavery in Egypt, they came through the wilderness, they crossed over the river Jordan into the promised land, what was the first thing they encountered? Anyone? Jericho, a stronghold, a fortified city, walls 30 feet high. So what did they do? Oh, no, we got to go back past over the Jordan. Or, or you know, we got to make a bunch of ladders. Or, you know, we got to make a bunch of huge slingshots or whatever. We got to do a battering ram. We got to, you know, uh, we got to do what we see the nations of the world doing when they take over a fortified city. No, they didn't do any of that. What did they do? They simply obeyed the word of God. Mighty in God, weapon number one, the word of God. God told them nearly to shout. He said, Joshua said, shout for the Lord has given you the city. And so they confronted the stronghold head on with the word of God. And that word, the Bible says, is Jesus. It was Jesus, brothers and sisters, who toppled that wall. It's Jesus who's going to topple the stronghold in your life. And he's gonna, it's Jesus that when you confront these strongholds in the families, the, the dorms, the neighborhoods, the, the work, in, in your work, it's, it's Jesus confronting the stronghold head on that is going to pull down the stronghold. And so the weapons that are mighty in God. The word of God. The second one is love. Not that sentiment thing, but that die to yourself thing that Jesus talks about. The third one, the prayer of faith. The fourth, a life of purity and righteousness. And so we'll pick up next week with number two. We're not a whole lot farther than the, we were when we ended a few weeks ago. That's how we do things here at Calvary Chapel in the city. We fill ourselves up with the word of God, but if 
you are here this morning. And there's a stronghold that's been in your life, and, or maybe you don't even recognize it, but you know this one thing, that you do not have a relationship with God and your life is a mess. And I ask you this one thing. What about Jesus? What about him? Have you put him on the throne of your heart? Have you put him on the throne of your, of your life? We'll have a couple people after the service here um, up front to pray. If you have never done that, it's a simple prayer of faith. You, go, you don't go out and try to do things, be nice to people, call people up and f- ask for forgiveness or do this and that to, to make Jesus the throne of your heart. No, you ask him. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. If you open up, he'll come in, and there'll be people up here after uh, the service, uh, uh, people, uh, some people that you can pray with and just settle that matter. The Word of God, love, prayer, and a life of righteousness, weapons that are mighty in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would just bring these things into focus in our lives, Lord. Father, how often and how easily, how frequently, Lord, we we find ourselves putting our hands on carnal weapons, just the worldly methods of trying to resolve the problems in our life, trying to get life done in the power of our flesh. Father, I just pray for every man, woman, and child in here that by your grace, you would open the eyes of their heart, Lord, to that exceedingly abundant power available in Christ. Father, I pray that you do that for all of us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.